Welcome to Ask an Orthodontist, the podcast where industry leader and full-face orthodontics founder, Dr. Derek Mahoney, and his guests share their knowledge and insight on the ins and outs of orthodontic treatment for you and your kids. Hi, uh, good morning, and thanks everyone for uh, listening to this uh, podcast. Uh, I have great uh, pleasure to introduce today uh, Dr. Donnie uh, Mandrawa. And I think I said the surname reasonably correctly. <laughs> That's very good, Derek. <laughs> uh, everyone knows Donnie as Donnie. I've known Donnie for years uh, without even uh, ever pronouncing his surname. So I hope <laughs> I did that uh, uh, correctly. Um, I'll just give you a bit of background about Dr. Donnie. Uh, he graduated from the University of Melbourne School of Dental Science in 1998. He's restricted his practice to orofacial myofunctional dentistry, which is what we'll really talk about today. Um, and in this very unique practice that uh, Donnie has, he, he, he deals with um, evaluation, diagnosis, and, and management of uh, tethered oral tissues, such as lip and tongue tie, uh, dental orthopedics, which is um, uh, guidance of facial growth um, back to normal, uh, and, uh, and of course, um, myofunctional orthodontics, which is his passion. And uh, I'll let Donnie talk more about that in a minute. Uh, Donnie has two practices here in uh, Victoria, Victoria or Melbourne. Uh, one is in North Melbourne and one is in Baldwin. Uh, he's an international educator. Uh, I've heard him speak in Japan to a sellout uh, uh, audience. In fact, everyone thought you were Japanese there, Donnie. Did you know that? Yes, I know. Yes, I get that all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, he, Donnie's also the co-creator of the first ever algorithm for orofacial myofunctional therapy, which he calls a myofocus takeoff uh, um, OMT algorithm. And I've seen that in use uh, in his uh, practice in Melbourne, and it's just amazing. So I'd like to chat a little bit to you about that and uh, parents' expectations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh, Donnie's soon to complete his postgraduate diploma in dentofacial orthopedics and orthodontics from uh, the London Dental Institute. Uh, so, Donnie, thank you for taking time out on a Sunday morning to, to talk to us. Um, can I start just by maybe giving you a background? As you know, I graduated 35 years ago, and I didn't have one lecture on any of the things we're talking about today. I did a very standard orthodontic three-year degree where I learned how to move teeth. Um, and I would not treat anyone unless they were at least a teenager until they had all their adult teeth. Um, so for parents listening, and even for dentists who are still maybe stuck in that paradigm of referring uh, only when adult teeth are present, uh, can you tell me why it's important to evaluate and address abnormal function in children early? Thank you, uh, Dr. Derek. Thank you for inviting me, first of all, to your podcast. Um, and um very good question actually because i get that all the time like why is it important to treat early and a lot of the parents that i see have had i suppose other opinions from other practitioners and they've been commonly told to just wait until your child doesn't have any more baby teeth when you're like 12 13 14 right but um, even uh, when, when I was undergoing undergraduate studies, and um, I remember there was a book by Enlo, which is about the cranial bones and how the bone is growing and all that. Um, that book even says that by four years old, 
the craniofacial structure, so the bones of the head, including the jaws, have completed 50% of growth. And by six years old, I'd have completed about 80% of growth. And on average, by 11, they've completed 90% of growth. So it makes more sense to be able to direct that growth in the right direction as early as possible when they still have that growth potential. Um, and to me, there's a, a lot of traditional orthodontics where um, they've been told to wait and the jaws don't actually have that much more potential of growing. And I suppose the easier way out in a, in a way is to just extract some teeth to create the spaces if the teeth are crowded, right? And there's even a, a paper that uh, that's just been released only a couple of months ago, I think that shows the, the less adult teeth you've got in your mouth, the smaller the jaw bones become. And when the jaws are smaller, we have to start to think about what's happening with the tongue. There's not enough tongue space in there. I mean, I get, I get a lot of parents and even um, other health practitioners referring to me saying, oh, I think this child's tongue is too big. It's not so much that the child's tongue is too big. It's probably because the jaws are too small for the tongue. So there's not enough tongue space. And what happens when there's not enough tongue space? Where does that tongue go? It actually tends to collapse backward. That narrows the airway. And then we start to talk about all these dysfunctions um, happening when the airway is narrow. Not only there's going to be breathing dysfunctions, but it can affect, you know, snoring that leads to higher risk of sleep disordered breathing that can lead to sleep apnea and so on. Hmm. And um, I think let's talk maybe about that concept of airway. Over the years, I've realized that the majority of kids that I see that have a fairly meaty malocclusion, uh, for want of better words, narrow upper jaw, uh, lower jaw set back too far. They, they definitely are mouth breathers and mm -hmm. their sleep is affected. Can, mm -hmm. can you tell me what um, your thoughts are and how you talk to parents um, about the concept of uh, improved facial growth from um, proper posture and, and proper nasal breathing? In uh, my opinion is... I'm always for forward growth. So the jaws need to grow more forward and wider. Uh, it is all about the airway. And, um, and as dentists, and I think I learned from you that uh, we are the gatekeepers of the airway. Uh, as dentists, yes. I learned that term from you when I did your mini residency quite a few years ago. But um, I believe proper nasal breathing means the lips are going to be closed and the tongue is going to be posturing at the optimal position, which is up against the palate. And if you think about it, if the tongue is up against the palate, this tongue, it's really the only muscle that's inside the mouth that can put pressure against the palate from the inside out. And if the tongue is not sitting up there because your mouth breathing and because uh, your, your tongue is collapsing back and blocking the airway, making, making you need to mouth breathe even further, that means your cheeks, your lips, your chin or the facial muscles outside the mouth, there would be exerting unwanted forces inward. And that can actually, you know, I suppose, slow down the growth of the jaws, right? But not only that, when you nasal breathe, you're actually breathing cleaner air in a way because the nose has always been designed for breathing, not the mouth. And that's why we have, you know, all these shells and nose hair that actually filters all the allergens and dust and regulates um, the, the balances between the gases that we need 
to be able to um, to I suppose uh, um, feed our organs. You know, so we need the oxygen, the carbon dioxide, the nitric oxide, which are all regulated when you nasal breathe. But imagine when you mouth breathe, there is none of those filters, none of those regulations, and the first line of defense, in fact, when you mouth breathe, is probably the tonsils trying to um, fight against all the allergens and dust. And if the tonsils are reacting to, um, to to filter all these um, you know unwanted elements, then they would actually become more enlarged, which means that it would actually narrow the airway even further, which makes you want to mouth breathe even more. So it's, it, it is like a vicious cycle, actually. Um, and imagine if someone is not breathing and not sleeping uh, properly and not having that good quality rest at night. You know, if, if, even um, maybe you've experienced this. I've certainly experienced it. Like when I don't have a good night's sleep, I wake up in the morning grumpy, uh, you know, headache, um, aching bodies, and, uh, you know, just poor concentration. Um, you know, it can really affect the behavioral issues, especially in children. And I get a lot of parents reporting to me that, you know, their child have behavioral issues or performing quite poorly at school, uh, you know, falling asleep at the desk and things like that. And that really already gives me quite a lot of clues in terms of how this, act, this child is breathing and how this child is sleeping. And, and you know, parents always get confused with uh, appliances. And um, mm. as you know, in all my clinics, we do a lot of um, myobrace. Um, and uh, what I try and explain to the parents, it's not the appliance that makes the difference. The appliance is just an adjunct to a number of uh, techniques, which include exercises, breathing exercises. You know, I always, I think, Every time I would say at least a hundred times a day to someone, to my staff, mm -hmm. to patients, to their parents, breathe through your nose, lips together, tongue on the palate, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. could you help clear up some controversy in what type of appliances are used? Um, uh, how does something like a Maya brace come in? Because one thing I think um, the Maya brace team have done well, they've actually marketed well to the public that there is an alternative treatment. But the public then get confused. You know, uh, I get people even ring the practice and say, look, can I buy a Maya brace from you? <laughs> and we say, look, it's not an appliance. It's not like this magical appliance that um, you you get your kid to wear and it'll grow their jaws. It's it's a number of things. Can you, can you touch on that for us, Donnie, please? Sure, for sure. When I... I suppose, explain treatments to parents and patients. I always have this analogy that it's like going to a gym for your mouth, right? So when you go to a gym, you get some exercises, you use gym equipment, and uh, some people get a personal trainer. Well, that's basically what I'm doing when we are looking after children for their orofacial myofunctional therapy. Um, the, the goals, as you said, breathing through the nose, lips closed, tongue up, and even swallowing properly as well. And it's about getting all these muscle postures correct at rest and during function. So the way to, uh, to get muscles to, to, to correct their posture and to get stronger in the ways that we want them to be so that they can optimally function better is to give them exercises. Now, that's what's called orofacial myofunctional therapy. And uh, in my exercise library, I've got like over 70 different exercises. 
and um, and they're all basically targeting different dysfunctions of the muscles of the mountain face. Now, during the exercises, I do give them some gym equipment, which are the appliances like a myobrace, like a myomunchi, like healthy start, um, like myospots, like lip trainers, and so on. Because all these appliances, they're not really designed to, I suppose, they're not really directly designed to move the heart structure, but they're actually designed to exercise the muscle functions. And it's the muscle functions that are exerting forces in the correct locations that actually make the jaws and the teeth to favorably move, right? So in my opinion, for example, like when someone is wearing a Maya brace, um, it's not it's not really going to get the teeth straight with a Maya brace. The Maya brace is going to get the tongue up, it's going to keep the lips and the cheeks away from the jaws, which means that the jaws are going to grow more favorably, which means that the teeth are going to possibly erupt into better alignment. You know, Maya brace is not braces. Maya brace is not Invisalign, right? Um, braces and Invisalign are the ones that will line up and, and straighten the teeth. Uh, the adult teeth, the permanent teeth. So there's quite a, a difference here. So um, um, there, there has been a lot of misconception and I, I do agree with you because I hear that all the time. Like, do you do myobrace treatment? And, um, and I wouldn't call it myobrace treatment. I say, I do myofunctional orthodontic treatment. And as one of uh, the, the gadgets that I use during the treatment is a myobrace. And... Mm. The other thing I always touch on with parents is mm. if you want to put the tongue in the right position, obviously you need the upper jaw to be the right size to accommodate the tongue. And we have all this sort of controversy, who does what first, you know? Mm. So speech pathologists refer a lot of patients to you, I know, and um, and you have a reputation of... Uh, of dealing with tongue ties um, uh, very well. Um, but I know I've heard you speak uh, on the concept of before you release the tongue tie, start some exercises so the kid knows what to do, um, you know, once the tongue release is done to maintain your release. The second thing is have the upper jaw the right size before you do the release. So do you want to touch on that sort of, you know, controversy of developing the upper arch first, doing exercises, then releasing the tongue tie, um, then continuing the exercises, just so parents understand if, you know, their dentist says to them, look, I think your kid may have a tongue tie, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what what next? If, if that's sure. uh, not too big a question, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I can go in for hours here, Derek, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think... I think it's very important to understand for parents that everyone is an individual and there is no one recipe that fits every child, basically. So I have seen patients with, for example, a tongue tie, right? So a tongue tie is basically the attachment under the tongue is being tight and is restricting the elevation or the optimal function of the tongue muscles. And um, according to research, it, uh, it's in about 5 to 20% of the population, depending on which research you, you read. So a tongue tie can actually impact on, um, on the proper 
resting and functional postures of the tongue. So if it's in the way and it keeps pulling the tongue down and anchoring the tongue down and the tongue is unable to rest against the palate, then that is something that needs to be addressed. However, if, um, uh, if the tongue is so used to being low in posture because of a tongue tie, see the tongue tie we believe is formed at about 12 weeks in utero. So by the time a baby's born, uh, that, that baby's had the tongue tie for about six months. And, um, and so when we see a child who's, you know, two, three, four, five, and so on, they have had the tongue tie for quite a long time since before they were born. So their body has been functioning with that tongue tie and the muscles of the body are so used to functioning with that tongue tie that if you just release that tongue tie for the tongue to be able to elevate, there is a chance that the body is going to go, what's going on? Because, you know, suddenly there's a wound in there. And when the body gets a wound, the body always wants the wound to heal to its original condition. So because, because that is what the body's used to, that is, there's a neurological connection between the brain and the body saying that you've got to heal back here because this is how I'm used to functioning. But what we want with a tongue tie is when we release it, we would like that wound to heal better than the original. So what I do is I, um, uh, I prescribe about four weeks of exercises to the patient um, when, when they're when they're older and um, so that they can start to change the neurological connection between the brain and the muscle functions of the mouth and face first getting ready for the tongue tie release because once the tongue tie is released and the the, the neurological connection is already going well actually um, I've already been trained to get that tongue up to the palate, to get that lips closed, to breathe through the nose. Then it's uh, it's going to be a lot better healing of the wound and continue on the training after that for at least another four weeks of actually teaching the muscles what to do, like getting that tongue up, lips closed, breathe through the nose and so on. Different with babies though. So with babies who are born with tongue ties, a lot of them are usually um, getting some challenges with, uh, with breastfeeding. So with babies, we tend to release uh, the tongue tie when we diagnose it. And uh, we get the parents to do some active wound management so that the wound can heal better than the original. And so that the tongue tie does not regrow. Um, however, this, the second part of your question is when um, do we release the tongue tie first or um, do we do the exercises? Do we um, create the, the, the tongue space in the mouth if the jaw is too small? Now, that's where it becomes a, a more of an individual basis. Now, I've had some patients where the upper jaw is so narrow, triangular in shape, there's not enough space for the tongue. And if we do some exercises and release that tongue, that tongue has nowhere to go. And if it has nowhere to go, where would it go? It would actually collapse back and it can actually increase the risk of, you know, mouth breathing and airway obstructions leading to snoring and sleep apnea and so on. So it is an individual thing. And, um, and that's why it's very, very important to be able to evaluate everyone um, individually and take comprehensive records of everyone, all the measurements, um, videos, photos, x-rays, uh, 3D study models of their bite and jaws because everyone's different and their treatment plans will always be different. And can I then bring up uh, lip ties because that's mm -hmm. also another controversy. Mm -hmm. um, 
most parents kind of um, get the big gap between the front teeth and they don't like it. And then when you lift that lip up and you see a really thick muscular labial frenum, uh, it's obvious to everyone. Can you can you just tell me from a diagnostic point of view, when are you concerned by lip ties and how would a parent maybe um, be able to do a bit of evaluation of their own child to see whether maybe that's contributing to the problem? Lip tie is actually, I find it quite difficult to diagnose, to evaluate and diagnose because there is a lot of lip attachments that look very thick and it looks very triangular where, where it actually widens higher towards the lip. However, when, when I manually palpate that attachment, so I usually use my fingers to rub on it um, sideways a few times, and then I would lift the upper lip up and down. There's a couple of things that I look for. First of all, is there any tightness that I could feel from my finger? Because a lot of times with these attachments, if it flattens and I can actually feel the underlying bone heart structure, then usually it's actually not, not really a restriction. Um, and it's probably just the, the appearance of, um, of, of that attachment of the oral mucosa. Uh, and also when I lift the upper lip up, if there is a bit of pulling on the gum, so, so there's a, a cut of circulation where the gums would go white and blanching, that usually means that there is some kind of a restriction. So, um, it's, uh, it's not very, very easy as well to evaluate what kind of functional impact the lip tie actually has, um, has done on this patient. So like with, with infants, for example, when there's a lip tie, oftentimes when they are feeding, they don't have a really good seal from the lips or latch um, where the upper lip tends to roll in and unable to maintain that flanging out of the upper lip to, to, create, to, to maintain that strong seal um, over the nipple or over the bottle um, teeth. Um, so if that is the situation, then we will um, we, would, we would consider releasing the lip tie. But in older children, uh, I have had quite a few cases where the lip tie is actually quite thick and quite prominent and very tight on palpation. There's a lot of blanching when I lift the, the lip up. Uh, it is causing the gap between the upper two front teeth, as you said. And, um, and that can be, one, a cosmetic issue, yes. But two, it can also be quite uncomfortable for them to brush their teeth. So it can become an oral hygiene issue. And also, if it's quite thick, there can be some pockets on the side of the, of the actual lip tie itself in which food can get caught and they can't actually clean it properly. Um, so that's another issue as well. But interestingly, what I have also seen is that I have seen quite a lot of patients, mainly toddlers, who, who have experienced speech difficulties and they don't actually have tongue ties, but they have lip ties. And then when we release the lip tie, suddenly they're more verbal and um, they can vocalize themselves better. So there's some kind of a neurological connection in there. And uh, you know, as you know, the body is is everything's connected, right? There's all these different systems in the body that's connected. So if one system is not working, it can have an impact on another. So um, I, I don't think there's any research about lip tie and speech that I know of, but, um, but it's just from my experience how it has helped quite a lot of patients' speech when releasing the lip tie. Great. So Donnie, um, 
Can you tell me uh, an average day in your practice? I visited your practice on a number of occasions, and I'm just mm-hmm. so impressed with the the workflow. Uh, it's it's almost what I would say seamless. Um, let's just say I'm a parent of a young child. I realize my child has poor oral posture. They mouth breathe. They snore at night. I kind of look in their mouth and I realize there's no room for their teeth. What would it look like if I was to bring my child to your clinic um, from entry through to possible treatment? So my practices has been designed to start working on compliance. You see, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, patients that we see mainly at pediatrics, you know, and, and we've got to make sure that we build up that compliance level from the beginning because of the nature of the treatment that we provide. So when they first come in, they don't even feel like they're in a dental practice. There's, there's no dental chairs, no dental equipment or anything that they see. Um, and the waiting room has, um, has, has a large uh, graphics that's, uh, you know, that's, that's based on airplane flying and airport because it's all about takeoff. It's about taking off that, that tongue up towards the palate. So, um, uh, and, and during the initial evaluation, I actually see them in a consult room where they just sit on an armchair and there's no dental anything at all that, uh, that they could see. So it's more non-threatening uh, and they're more comfortable and, uh, and the colors are all actually designed to be more calming and serene. It's, it's a bit more like, like a spa feel. It's not like a pediatric practice where there's so many colors everywhere. So their initial evaluation um, is basically me asking a lot of the history of the patient, uh, asking the parents and asking the patient themselves. I get the patient involved a lot. So I do talk to, no matter how old they are, I do try to talk to them and connect with them so that they can feel comfortable. And I don't even look inside their mouth until probably a good, you know, 30 to 40 minutes into the appointment. It's all about history taking at the beginning. And once I have a look in the mouth, I don't actually even use any dental instruments at all. There's no mouth mirror. There's no, there's no anything that looks, uh, you know, looks sharp at all. Basically, I just use my glove fingers. Um, I have a look at their bite, have a look at the shape of their upper jaw, lower jaw. I have a feel of their lips, their cheeks. I get them to do a few uh, dance moves with their tongue. Um, and, and, you know, they, they love it. They love it when, uh, when they say that, you know, let's, let's show me some dance moves with your tongue. And, um, and it's all about actually checking the function, the restriction. And during the history taking themselves, I'm actually observing the patient what are they actually doing? How are they swallowing? How are they breathing? Because that's, that's their normal function when they're not actually aware of it and you're not making them aware of it so that I can give a, a proper evaluation of how they're normally functioning and posturing. And then after the initial evaluation, if yes, there are issues that we need to investigate here um, that we need to address, then usually they would need to have an orthodontic records appointment, which uh, in which they would see my oral health therapist and she would spend 
probably a good hour. So the initial evaluation is an hour, and then the record's probably another hour of um, of gathering lots of photos, photos of their teeth, their bite, their tongue, their smile, their face from different angles, their posture as well. We also measure their tongue uh, mobility, and uh, we take videos on how they chew, they swallow, they speak, they breathe. We take three-dimensional uh, study models of their bite, and we take uh, radiographs and well, x-rays of, um, of their head as well. And three different x-rays, usually like the panoramic one of their teeth, uh, their head from the side and their head from the front, because I would want to see everything from every angle. And once I have all those information, then I need a bit of time to do my homework in which I basically do measurements and tracings and type up a treatment plan. And my treatment plan usually is about maybe about 14, 15 pages long for each patient. So it takes me a while uh, to actually be able to analyze and plan everything properly. And, um, and then I would sit down for a case presentation with the parents and the child again for about uh, you know a good 40, 45 minutes or so. And then the parents can decide from there in terms of what they wanna do. You know, it, At the end of the day, it's really up to the parents what they wanna do. Just like any medical dental treatment, one option, is do nothing, you know? Um, so they have to be comfortable with how they would like to proceed from there, yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and I have seen uh, some of your records uh, when patients, I'm, I'm just so impressed. It, oh, it's, thank you. Uh, it, it's, um, uh, it, it's a refreshing, uh, sorry, a breath of fresh air when I uh, normally get from a referral source, one OPG that that is almost like a Monet it hasn't been done properly and, and you know <laughs> and and the, and the author on consultation says um something like um uh uh for your evaluation or orthodontic treatment required you know uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. you 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 really go into great depth in that regard um thank you so Donnie thanks again for taking the time to to chat if uh, parents mm. uh, wish to uh, learn more about what you do and come in consultation with you, what would be the best uh, website or email for them to use? Uh, there's, there's a couple of websites that you can um, contact me at. One is myofocus.com.au, which is the website of my North Melbourne practice. And the Baldwin practice website is the dentalsuites.com.au. That's suites, S-U-I-T-E-S, not suites as in lollies. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Uh, well, um, thanks again. And uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the parents and, 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 and de dentists uh, listening to this podcast would have many more questions. Uh, is there a direct uh, email for, uh, say, a dentist that wants to learn more about your training program, or does it all just go through the myfocus.com.au? Uh, you can contact me on Facebook as well, or right. you know, Instagram on social media. I do have a public page called Dr. Donnie, um, or right. I think in Instagram it's at Dr. Donnie Mandrawa. Uh, so you can contact me through there, or my email is Donnie at myofocus.com.au. So Donnie is D-O-N-N-Y, right? Perfect. Um, well, thanks again. Uh, and uh, hope to catch up, uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks for all you do for uh, all the kids. Uh, fantastic outcomes I see. And I always see very happy parents and patients. So it says a, a lot for your standing in the dental community. Thank you, Donnie. 
Thank you very much, Derek. And I have to say, I do have to thank you as well for, you know, really um, playing a big part in the in the early stages of my career. And, and you've really inspired and influenced me a lot in uh, what I do now. So thank you very much, Derek. It's my pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Full Face Orthodontics and Dental Sleep Medicine, Sydney and Melbourne. If there's a topic you would like covered by Dr. Mahoney, just reach out to us at marketing at derekmahoney.com.